Well, how are we? You guys are uh, alive. I love it. Uh, big shout out to Hayward and to our online family as well. So good to be with you guys today. Listen, do this for me. I can't hear it, but shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Not y'all, them. Do it. Now, y'all, go. <laughs> Uh, before I jump in, I did want to say this. Uh, I did bring a copy of my book. Uh, we got a couple of uh, early shipments. It doesn't come out until June 20th, but if you lead a team and you are looking for a helpful resource, first person to the front row after the gathering, you get that for free. And it's my joy. I know. Don't, don't trample each other. Uh, it's my joy. Uh, it's, not, it's not good enough for you to trample anybody. Uh, it's my joy to uh, bring that to you. Before we jump in, uh, let me pray for us, and then we will get to work. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would do in this moment what only you can do. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you continue uh, the work that you began from the opening prayer, through communion, through worship and song, uh, that you would awaken the sleeping, that you would bring alive those who are dead to your word, that you would strengthen and empower your children and that all of us would experience the living God face-to-face in this room, in our homes, all over the Silicon Valley, in Hayward, that we would know when we leave this moment that we've been face-to-face with the King of glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Here's what I believe about you. Here's what I believe about you, and I, and I believe it more now maybe than when I first got here. As I've experienced this weekend with my Resonate family, here's what I believe. I believe that you want to be a transforming presence in your community, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your job. I believe that you want to be a transforming presence in every place that you live and work and recreate. I believe that you want to be a transforming presence. And what I mean by that is I believe that if we were able to sit across from one another, share a coffee, share a tea, maybe share another beverage of some delightful kind, that you would say back to me that if, if I had the way, if I had the map, if I had the, 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 the direction, if I had the ability, if I had the clarity, then I would do all that I can to be a transforming presence in my community. In fact, I would say it this way, that each and every one of you, I believe, want to participate in a move of God in the Bay Area and beyond. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that is what's burning in your heart. I believe that that is your deepest desire, that you don't want to just go through the motions. You don't want to just come and do church. You don't want to just show up for a small group, but you actually want to be a part of a reverberating wave of grace that would sweep over this city and sweep out of this city all over the world until the glory of the Lord covered the face of the earth. Amen. Amen. I believe that. I believe that about anyone who has encountered the gospel, heard the good news of Jesus, been made alive, given the Holy Spirit at their salvation, instructed in the ways of the Lord. I believe anybody who's been transformed by the transforming presence of Jesus wants to be a transforming presence in the world. I believe that. But we have a challenge, don't we? We have a challenge. Sorry, y'all like my sweat towel. (laughs) If we were in that old church, I'd have an organ player back there, and I'd say, blessing and honor and glory to God, (laughs) and to the saints and those who have gone before. All right, that's that good Baptist preacher. I'm not Baptist, by the way. 
I'm Karakatha Baptocostal. Um, <clears throat> that's a true story. I'll tell you about that later. Here's what I believe, though. We, we have a challenge. We have a challenge. The world, the flesh, and the devil tell us that it's impossible. It tells us that it's impossible. The enemy whispers, they'll never listen to you. Our flesh whispers, you'll never be any better than you are. The world tells us, we don't really want to hear what you have to say. And it puts us in a position, what? It puts us in a position where the ingredients for a move of God. And when I say that, for those of us who are not yet followers of Jesus in the room or they're online or in Hayward, when I say a move of God, I don't want to just be using churchy language just to use it. What I mean by that is a great wave of God's grace that is so palpable and so tangible and so wonderful and so consuming that people's lives are transformed continually and God's church fills up and goes out into the world the way it was meant to do it. That's what I mean by move of God. And so between the, the world and the flesh and the devil telling us that it's never going to happen and, and, and the sense that maybe we don't know the path, we don't know the ingredients, we don't, we don't know the frame, the structure to actually see this come together, what are we left feeling? Well, I can tell you what I'm left feeling. Sometimes I feel helpless. Sometimes I feel useless. But mostly, mostly I find myself in the darkest moments feeling apathetic, like what's the point in trying? And that's wrong. None of us should ever feel that way. In fact, I firmly believe that every single person who practices the way of Jesus, every single person who practices the way of Jesus deserves, and I know that's a heavy word, deserves, should be able to participate in a sweeping move of God. We shouldn't be left to feel apathetic. We shouldn't be left to feel as though we don't know which way to go. We shouldn't be left to feel as though we'll never see those types of things in our generation. And I understand because I felt that. I felt that. I felt that in Atlanta. Atlanta is not so different from the Silicon Valley. It used to be. Everybody's like, oh, the Bible Belt. Let me tell you something. The Bible Belt is broken. The buckle is loose. And ever since Hollywood moved from Hollywood to Atlanta, rent is high, food is high, everything is high. And I'm not willing to pay those prices just to get a good look at Chris Evans. <laughs> Although he is striking. <laughs> no, seriously, they filmed Captain America right across the street from our church offices in downtown. It was incredible. He was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I felt the same way in Atlanta. I have. I, I, I felt that, I, I have felt, tell me if you agree with this. I felt that all of the great moves of God were for another generation. In fact, there was a revival, there's that word, in Atlanta in the 50s that was so significant that they had to fire half of the police force because there wasn't enough crime to police. And I'm asking God, what about here? What about us? What about now? In fact, we do prayer every Saturday morning at our church from 9.30 to 10.15. Not making a suggestion, just throwing that out there. Um, every Saturday morning, we pray. I don't care if it's one. Sometimes we'll have one person besides me. Sometimes it'll be like 100. You never know. But no matter who shows up, we're going to pray. And I was at 
the stage on my knees, right here, on my knees, asking the Lord, what do we have to do? What do we have to do for you to do what you do? What do we have to do? You know, the, the, the revivals in As, at Asbury University and the revivals at Lee University and the revivals in Cleveland, Ohio, I'm watching all of this stuff happen everywhere else and I'm frustrated. Can I be honest? Is this a place where I can be honest? I'm frustrated. I'm like, why there? Why not here? Atlanta needs this. The Bay Area needs this, God. And I was on my knees pleading with the Lord to show me the way. I believe he gave me a clear picture. And it was actually quite surprising. (laughs) Because I think what we think is great moves of God are attached to special people and special moments and special training, and special opportunity. And I remember sitting there on my knees before the Lord saying, no, 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 tell me what to do. And he told me the exact opposite. This is not about special people. This is not about special moments. This is not about special training. You don't need to go to Jesus Incorporated Special Forces training to do this. That's not what this is about, son. What he said to me so very clearly was all it requires, hear me, hear me students, all it requires is a spirit-driven, listen to me, spirit-driven commitment to the normative practices of following the way of Jesus. That's it. That's it. This is not Jesus' delta force. All it requires is a spirit-driven commitment to the normative rhythms of grace, to the normative practices of Jesus, to the normative rhythms of what it means to follow the way of Jesus in the world. That is all it requires. And when we do that, faithfulness meets faith, and we see moves of God. In fact, he gave me three things that I'll share with you, and I'll be out of your way. And we're going to be all my church folks laughing because they, they're like, I recognize that. Yeah, we, we trade notes. Three things and I'll be out of your way. And we're going to be over, all over the Bible a little bit today. Uh, so if you want to follow along, we're going to start in Psalm 63. We're going to start in Psalm 63. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you what we're seeing all over the world right now. It's Jesus' people simply being Jesus' people. And God is on the move. And he said there's three things, three things that are identifiable, three simple things that are identifiable in the word of God that if we would be these things, then he'll move among us too. Number one is to be hungry, to be hungry, to be hungry. Listen to the words of David. In Psalm 63, he writes, Oh God, you are my God. I love that possessive language. You are my God. You're my God. And earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked. 
I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I bless you as long as I live in your name. Listen, I will lift my hands and my soul will be satisfied as with fat, rich food. And my mouth will praise you, listen, with joyful lips. Now, what we find, David, is in a peculiar moment for what we just read. He's running from his life, from Saul. He's in a bit of a desolate place, a literal desolate place, a deserted place. He's all alone for the most part, trying to figure out, listen, trying to figure out what his next move is going to be. And that drives him to do something that is almost unnatural for us. When I'm confused, my base instinct is not to praise God. It's to go to solutions. Is that just me? We are in Silicon Valley. Y'all build stuff, right? But David finds himself in trouble. And his base instinct is not to try and solve the problem, listen, not to try to solve the problem, but instead to get into the presence. <laughs> and what he writes here is an apt description of a hunger for God. Can you throw those back up for me again? Listen to his words. The first thing he says is, is you are my God. That's why I said I love that possessive language because what David understands is that God is not some distant deity sitting in the corner of the universe winding up the world and hoping that it goes okay. No, he's an intimate father. Deeply engaged, deeply concerned for your well-being. And so because David knows God is that type of God. He says, I earnestly seek you. I seek you. In fact, my soul, it thirsts for you. As you know that every one of us have that same thirst. Oh, we may not yet be followers of the way of Jesus, but that thing, that thing, that thing you're trying to get your mind around, that thing, that, that thing, that little, that little hole that you sense that, that nothing is ever quite complete, nothing is ever quite right, nothing ever tastes the way it should, no, nothing ever comes together in your heart and your mind. You get to the achievement and you realize, well, maybe that wasn't everything that I thought it was. And you get the person that you thought was going to be the one to produce joy in your life and they don't do what they are meant to do. Or you get the greatest job and you get into the school that you thought or you make it into the NFL. You get to the top of the pyramid and you realize that it still never satisfied your soul. Why? Because, because inside of us, Ecclesiastes tells us this, that God has woven eternity into our hearts. So inside of us is a thirst that nothing in this world can quench. And that's what David is describing. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In other words, the whole of my being longs for your presence. 
the whole of my being desires to be satiated and satisfied by you. The whole of, you are my meat. You are my drink. You are my satisfaction. You are the one that will quench my thirst. You are the one that will nourish my hunger. You are the one that will give me meaning and purpose in life. Only in you. Can I be satisfied? And so my question to you today is, are you hungry for the Lord? Are you hungry for the Lord? Are you hungry to be nourished by the living God? Or are you so full from the junk food of this world that what's good for your soul doesn't taste good anymore? It's not an indictment. It is a question. It is, I promise it's not an indictment. It's a question. Are you so full from the world in which we exist that you've lost your taste for God? You know, back in January, we did a 21-day fast. Our church does it. Again, not making a suggestion. Just it's out there. We do a 21-day fast every January, every August. We do. It's kind of the beginning of our ministry season. We want to hear from the Lord. And my wife, <clears throat> at the risk of our marriage, <laughs> suggested that I fast sugar. Now, I got a little more time so I can play for just a moment here. When I met my wife, I didn't even eat sugar. True story. I was 320 pounds and I had a four and a half pack. You got to be a certain size to get five and six to come in. It's just, you know, got to accept our bodies as they are. And, and I didn't eat sugar. And on our third date, she said, let's go get some ice cream. And when a five foot nine and a half Brazilian looking woman asks you for ice cream, well, you go for ice cream. <laughs> and she reignited my addiction. It is all her fault. Genesis 3, all over again. <laughs> she reignited my addiction. And so I got a real sugar problem. Okay, there's a candy bowl in the office. I promise you, it is literally three quarters less full than when I got here. Okay. Last night, Jenny Kwan, also feeding my addiction, gave me a bag of high chews that I said I was going to make them last. Until <laughs> I got back to the hotel, I have a problem. But I fasted sugar. I fasted because she asked me to fast. I fasted sugar. You know something that's crazy that happened? At the end of that 21 days, one night we were having like a strawberry salad, something like that. And I bit into a strawberry. And I kid you not, the intensity of the sweetness totally caught me off guard. The sweet, the tart. I was like, oh my God. I bit into a bell pepper and I, and I caught sweet notes in a bell pepper. <laughs> Truly. And I remember thinking in that moment, oh, because I deprived myself of the junk, now what is nourishing tastes good. Because I deprived myself of the poison, and it is poison, 
So I'm voluntarily murdering myself. After depriving myself of the poison that is sugar, what is nourishing to my body suddenly was filled with delight. And that's what we're being invited into. To put ourselves in a position where David's other song, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We've been invited into a hunger that we stop satisfying with all these other things that only leave us hungrier and only leave us thirstier. And instead, we've been invited to hunger after the Lord, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I promise you, that as you, by the power of the Spirit, began to deprive yourself of things that do not actually satisfy, nothing will be more satisfactory than the presence of God. Be hungry. Number two, be humble. Sit down. Be humble. I'm only... God inviting us to be hungry. He's inviting us to be humble. In fact, listen to Peter's words in 1 Peter. He's writing to the church scattered, trying to help them understand how to conduct themselves in light of what Jesus has accomplished. This is important because God forbid you hear me say B, 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 and you understand that as a pathway to get something from God. No, 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 no. What we be is because of what he did. And so in light of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the finished work of Jesus in his resurrection power, in light of that, Peter writes to the church, likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. But, it's not just about younger people being subject to the elders. This is important. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, okay, what is the therefore Therefore, To attach what's being said to what's been said. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You see what Peter just said? It's brilliant. It really is brilliant. I'm going to work it from the back back to the front so that you see it. You see, we live in a very anxious world. Now, let me do this real quick. We're going to call this our clinical anxiety box. Okay? <laughs> clinical anxiety is not the same as general anxiety. So when I say this, if you have clinical anxiety, don't hear me saying that you can just pray it away. You might need prayer, community, and medicine. And all of those work together. 
I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. I'm talking about general anxiety. I'm talking about the anxiety that comes when you think that your life rests on your striving. That's the anxiety I'm talking about. Where there's no room for failure. Where everything has to be a win. Everything has to be a success. Everything has to go your way. And if you would just push a little harder and do a little more and say it just right and put in the work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then we'll get to where we're going. And what does that produce? It produces an incredible anxiety. So what Peter is saying is in humility, there is no anxiety because in humility, you acknowledge that all of this rests on God. It doesn't rest on me. He's got to do whatever it's not going to get done. He's got to open the door. I can't walk through it. He's got to move me forward or I'm not going to get there. It doesn't rest on my striving. It rests on his grace. And because in humility, we admit that we are dependent, then we're not anxious because the pressure's not on us. The weight rests on God to do God stuff. What would it look like if you went into a meeting tomorrow morning and before you walked in the door, you prayed, all right, Lord, do your God stuff. I don't know which way this is going to go, but I know who you are. I don't know how this is going to end, but I know you're in control. What would it look like? If you woke up every single morning and said, God, what adventure are we going to go on today? Which one of my neighbors is ready to hear the good news of the gospel? Which one of my friends, which one of my classmates are ready to receive an invitation to life? What would it look like if we prayed before picking a spouse? Instead of just being like, he fine. <laughs> he must be the one. That's how you end up with Boaz cousins that I can't say. <laughs> Some of y'all got that. Spending too much time on church talk. <laughs> what if we put ourselves in a position, listen, put ourselves in a position where we understood we can't move, think, understand, progress without the leading of God. Isn't that what the word of God says? That in him, what? We live, we breathe, we move, we have our being. I want to live like that. I don't want to intellectually accept that, but then live and move and breathe in my own power. So God says, you want to see me move? <clears throat> Fall to your knees and rend the gates of heaven and ask me, ask me for your neighborhood. Ask me for your workplace. Ask me for your school. Ask me for the bay. Ask me for Fremont. Pray and plead that I would do the work and then respond when I say go. That's the invitation.
be dependent people. You know what a beautiful byproduct of that dependence is? I told you I was working from the back to the front of that verse. You see, when we cast all our anxieties on God because we know that we can't do it in our own striving and we humble ourselves under his hand, then inversely, what? We'll humble ourselves with one another too. And we'll live interdependently as a church rather than being independent people proximate to one another. And community will become a life-giving necessity rather than something we do because we're supposed to. And we'll understand that there's a reason there's over 51 another's in the New Testament because we need each other. That's the invitation. And that kind of church, alive with that kind of humility, it's an unstoppable force. Be hungry. Be humble. And lastly, be holy. Be holy. You know, I'm, um, I'm afraid that sometimes in our deep, right, beautiful passion about the grace of God and the love of God, and the mercy of God, that we lose sight of the holiness of God. God is other. God is unspeakable. Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter six, I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. Moses asked to see God and God is like, let me tuck you in this rock real quick because if you look at my face, you're going to die. That's who God is. He is holy. He is holy. He is other. And the invitation, again, via Peter's word, is that we, we, if we are followers of the way of Jesus, if we have been, come to acknowledge the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if we truly believe that Jesus lived perfectly and died tragically and rose triumphantly and sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for his children, if we believe those things, then the invitation for us, Peter says, is to be holy because God is holy. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, and because of that, what? Be holy. Be holy. Give me the next one. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, you didn't know what you didn't know. You thought the way of the world was the best way because that's the only way that you knew. And then one day, one day your eyes were awakened to life that is life and reality that is reality. And because of that, there needs, there necessitates a separation from what you were into who you're becoming. 
And that's what Peter was saying. Don't be conformed. In other words, don't wrap your life around those former identities. I don't care what it was. Don't wrap your life around those former identities. Instead, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. For it is written, for it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What does it mean for us to be holy? It means that we are set apart, that we are different, that we are distinct, that we don't look like the culture around us. We don't handle promotions like other people handle promotions. We don't handle our work schedule like other people handle their work schedule. We don't talk to our spouse the way that other people talk to their spouse. We don't talk to our parents the way that other people talk to their parents. We don't do the job the way that other people do the job. We don't show up and go through the motions. We don't show up and quiet quit. We come and we give our best effort, not because we want to earn somebody's favor, but because we're reflecting the nature of the God we say we serve. Holy. Amen. I hate to tell you this, but the nine was louder than y'all. For that, I'm slightly disappointed. Holy. In fact, I was watching Wild Kratts recently. Hey, that's right. Let it out. Let it out. I don't know why. Out of all the animals I want to be, I want an otter suit. I don't know why. It's just, it's what I want to do. And we're talking about whales. And then me and my son, we, we went on this, went on this journey, learning about whales. You know how whales die? Anybody know how whales die? I know it's a little morbid. They drown. They drown. Now you think to yourself, how does bruh drown when bruh lives in the water? <laughs> right? right? I mean, seriously, I know some of y'all in the middle. I said whales drown. Y'all were like, cap, that's cap, that's cap, that's cap. No cap. They drown. They drown because they're mammals. That's why, you know, we just think it's cool. Right? Whales are like... You know, like we think it's awesome. Like, oh, look at the blowhole. No, they're breathing. They're breathing. Because even though they're in the water, they're not of it. Even though they're in the water, they're not of it. And if they don't come up for air, if they don't, don't put themselves in a position to reoxygenate, to, to have life. Eventually they drown. And as I was on my little whale journey, I thought to myself, that's, that's us. The Bible says that we are in the world, but we're not of it. Which means that once we come to follow Jesus, we're breathing different stuff. And if we spend all of our time swimming in the world, never coming up to get the light that is life from the living God, to get oxygen to our souls, then eventually we'll drown. So the invitation today is to consider the way you live your life.
You slap them Jesus keys on there. <laughs> Don't it just suddenly feel more spiritual? Like, tell the truth. It was like, it was spiritual, and then he was like, and he was like, oh. So the invitation, I, I, listen. Do your friends know that you love Jesus? Do they? Do your classmates know? Do they know that you're different? Do they know that you play by a different set of rules? That you have a different aim in life? Yeah, you want to get into the best school, but that's really secondary to finding a life-giving community. Does your boss know you play by a different set of rules? That you're not going to step on people's necks to get up the ladder? Do your neighbors know you play by a different set of rules? That this church thing you do, it's not just some passing fancy or, or some weekend hobby, but that it is reoriented the way you navigate the world. Because that's holiness. And when I believe that I heard from the Lord, and I don't want to freak anybody out, actually I'll ask, any charismatics or Pentecostals? Yeah? Okay. Well, I can say this to y'all. The rest of y'all, check it through the Bible. So, I didn't have a burning bush moment, but I did hear the Lord say, that's why, that's the weird part. Impressed it on my heart. That, that these, these are the ingredients, if you will. Yesterday, I made gumbo with Caden. Did a great job, by the way. And you know what we did? We spent most of our time looking for the right ingredients. Very similarly, this, this is what I felt like the Lord put on my heart. These are the ingredients. These are, if, if my people would be hungry for me, if my people would be holy before me, if, if my people would be humble before me, then they've put it all together for me to make a gumbo of grace, my God, that will nourish the entire valley. So my ask of you today is to be honest about where you are and then determine who you want to be. You don't need special training. You don't need to be a special person. And you don't need to have a theology degree. I'm surprised I can even do this. I've had like five concussions. <laughs> he gives grace to the humble. You don't need a special moment. You need a camp roller coaster ride. All you need to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help you embrace and live out the normative practices of the way of Jesus. And if you do that, I assure you, I assure you, you will see a move of God in and through this church that will be a reverberating wave of grace over this entire valley. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would do what only you can do. 
that you would enliven our hearts and awaken our spirits, that, that you would make this truth come alive inside of us in a way that is truly transformative so that we can be transformative people. Make us hungry. Make us humble. Make us holy. Until we see more of the glory of God than we can stand. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Love you guys.